um, that hosted this year gave me. Um, it's about this time when I start reading this mug that uh, my daughter or my some family member of mine will go, Dad, you guys are such nerds. But this year, um, since it was our 20th anniversary, there's a lot of gift giving back and forth. And, um, and one of the gifts we received was a poem written by the person who was hosting us this year in Denver. Let me show you a picture of it. Did you get the picture? Did you see it before? So we were, um, nope, back one. Um, so this is the 12 of us, and we're actually in Colorado between Leadville and Bina Vista, and we've decided that we're also going to do an 80s cover band as well. as Rosie. But that's actually on a frozen lake, and we played wiffle ball there, which is awesome. Wiffle ball on a frozen lake, would recommend. Uh, and uh, yeah, amazing, right? Obviously, it was a big splurge, 20th, 20th uh, anniversary of it. But he had gone and prepared our place of meeting, our cabin, um, beforehand, and he was using the image from Beowulf, I know Springer, nerd factor 12, uh, uh, of Harrowit, which is the hall, the mead hall in which everybody's uh, in, in that poem. And so it says, Harrowit awakened. It's actually on this. The doors unbroken have been unbarred. A solitary spear now rests in the stook. The hall surveyed and secured, is swept slowly out of its great gabled slumber. The first fire is lit for warmth and provisions well laid for welcome. The Lord, lowercase l, the person, having arrived along the shortest track, now waits the longest for the fellowship. The others not yet traveling or track bent are steadying a home, stoking fires before leaving, to lean into the coming days of shelter, a foretaste of the end of the battle. Herod has begun to heave with warmth. Its raftered ribs yawn, aching to enfold the brotherhood quartered under the one full-thatched roof. That was our welcome. There's another kind of welcome in our text today. It's a welcome back into Romans. Since 2018, we've been giving ourselves to this book, this space, if you will. Its floors are also dropping deep into the earth, and its ceiling stretches as far as the heavens. Its breadth is beyond our measure, and while it exposes us, it tells of God's incredible grace given freely to us, born of his love. This book, if you have been walking along with us, has ruined any sense of self-reliance, of, 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 of uh, uncalled-for self-importance, while at the same time um, calling us to the dignity of our created intent and exposing the excessive kindness and mercy of God. So that means it also doesn't just ruin our, our, our self-importance, it also ruins our cynicism and our stagnation because it tells us that those who are in Christ, that we no longer live under the reign of sin and death, but under the reign of mercy and life. 
And the rest of Romans 12 and actually all the way to chapter 15 is an exploration of the ways Christians will live in light of this amazing kindness, this love, this mercy, and this power that, that Jesus has brought to bear to us. These, these verses are a rapid-fire set of directives, a staccato notes to a song, a song that we sing about the love and the life we have in Jesus. And then our next three weeks is about these relationships. They'll cover several things. This week is a relationship with each other. Next is with relationship with people who don't like us very much. And third is relationship with the government of the law. And then more and more in 14 as it goes. These weeks will be rich. I want you to give yourselves to these texts. I want, I want to try to do the same. I'd ask around your, your kitchen tables. Just pick one of these little verses and, and, or half verses and just attend to them. I feel like we could spend the next five years on these next three chapters. It would be amazing uh, as we absorb these things in. We won't do that. Um, but this is all the kind of stuff we're talking about in terms of spiritual formation, how we would be changed by the Spirit, all the depths and greatness of God's uh, uh, the, the, the theology of Romans 1 uh, through 11 then, then turns the corner here in a beautiful way and starts to teach us in the school of Christ and the path of love that would be incredibly more than we would ever imagine it to be if lived in. Because this love that, that, that he's going to talk about is agape, and we don't try to make too much of those kinds of words, but in Romans, in and of itself, he only thus far has used this word agape, this form of love, um, when it's relating to God himself. God has been the subject to it. So this agapic love is a divine love until this point has a singular uh, entity doing it. And it's God the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's only attributed to him thus far in Romans. But starting in chapter 12, this divine love turns as not something that is just a gift given to us, but a, a gift we can enter into, a power we can enter into for each other. And with each other. A love not that we've just received, but can also give. It's fascinating. It begins to be a, 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 a reflective love. A love that is not just thoroughly received, but thoroughly given to our neighbors. And it's what we have profoundly longed for. And what our neighbors profoundly long for. And our friends. So this... Big chunk of this letter, what remains of God's love, is emerging into how we live in love with each other. Now, I, I, I'm bringing up the Schlupfwinkel a lot for a couple of reasons. Uh, but one of them is because I want you to know not all of us are dorky pastor types. There are other dorky types involved. We have about half of them in ministry or ministry-related jobs. But we have a couple of professors. We have a water engineer uh, for the USGA. We have a civil rights artist, scholar type person. I don't really know what he is. A counselor. We have an FBI agent. And one of us who just left the pastorate and is trying to figure out what's next. That's not me. <laughs> Every year, all of us, from no matter where we live, arrive together, make meals together, pray for one another, celebrate together, weep together, revel together, play wiffle ball together, minister to one another right at the point between utter exhaustion and deep contentment. We have walked through every aspect of our lives together, and we will meet together until... There are no more to meet. 
until there is only one. In fact, we've already prepared for how we will bury each other. I know that's a little weird and a tad morbid, but it's a revelation of our love and commitment to each other. And I tell you all of this because, frankly, I believe our life together must embody and embodies, even full of error and folly, it embodies some of what Paul is talking about here, and it is a true gift. And it can be done with normal folks. And not everybody gets along perfectly all the time, but sometimes we only talk to each other during that time. Now, many of us are deep and profound friends, but, but I want to give you an encouragement. And the other thing I want to do is that this year in particular, I just showed up. It was nothing I created. I just participated. I had three cleanup kitchen duty days total. That's it. Three meals. Everything else was just an abundant gift prepared for me, readied for me, an unearned and freely given grace. And I think this passage and this group, for me, are tied together in some beautiful ways. So let's start. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. That is Philadelphia, but it obviously means familial, brotherly, sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In, the, in this passage, that literally the word here for, for genuine is not hypocritical. To not be hypocritical. It's a way of, of, of talking about the generational, the, valued, uh, the, the, the value most valued in this generation, which is authenticity. It's real. It's love. It's real love. It's true love. True love is what brings us together today. We could seriously spend a month on this alone. A candid, unpretentious, sincere, real, true love. And he describes this. The very first thing he describes in this true love is a love that hates Not that waits. True love waits. True love hates. Isn't that surprising? He wants us to embody a love that abhors evil, that detests cruelty, that hates the way we treat each other as humans. That is a subset of love. A friend of mine, English Lutwinkel, wrote this in an article, Sin and justice is to be hated. Hated because it is a false way of being human. A false way of living with God and other people and with the world. It is an undoing of the goodness of creation. And in this sense, sin is the ultimate false reality. An endlessly perverse parody of all that is lovely. But we usually don't hate it. We fear its shame. We sometimes loathe its power. But we don't often enough hate it, or at least not enough. On the contrary, the deep impulse of the fallen heart is to embrace the parody and to set up camp there. Not hating sin in the world and in us. And I can tell you, my friends, I still am trying to learn what it's like to hate as a Christian properly. I have learned how to hate in lots of other ways. But to hate my participation in the parody, 
to hate my escaping and my folly and my own sin. I do not hate it enough. And it's because I don't love enough. I don't love myself or his kindness or his mercy or his or my family or my calling or my church or my life enough. The great gifts that he has given. Which is why I'm not hating the right things at the right times. Which is why it's confusing to me that hate is a subset of love. And, it, and, 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 and I don't quite get it. But the, the passage helps us here because it's not just this kind of emotional reaction of abhorring or hating or detesting sin in you and in the world. But it's also a clinging or a grabbing, a physically holding on to something here. A grip towards what is good. True love doesn't sit around and mope about the horrors of this world or even the horrors of our own sin. But grasps and holds on to, grips good. And points one another to this good. Good in us and good in the world. The good that God has done in the world. Because the most categories of love are not just anger at what's going wrong. But delighting in and participating in grasping the good. To love one another with affection. If you have for the last 20 years had been to our Schlupfwinkel. And been a fly on the wall. You would have been utterly exhausted by our first five years. Because all of us were too. We would go on for four and five hours sometimes, digging into the life of, of, of each of us, asking also, we all were new, like, counselor, pre- preacher, pastor types, and we were just, you know, just who knows what we were doing. But it was like a diagnostic Olympics that we were having on poor people, including ourselves. It was just, wh- how much deeper and darker can we find, where can we find the bad in you? We wanted to bring repentance and life and goodness and all that other stuff. But we just concentrated, grabbed a hold of anything dark or bad and tried to expose it to the light. Not even with the wares of love to actually bring it to bear. We did no real harm because there was a commitment of love for each other. And it wasn't done out of, uh, of spite or anger. It was just, you know, we just weren't grabbing onto what was good. Now it takes about an hour. We're like, you're doing great. I love you. I can't believe you're surviving. This is so good. Like our, today, we was like, I mean, last week, it was, like, it was like, you know, I used to think it was a bad idea to think, wow, what if I just make it to the end faithful to Jesus? Like, what if, what? That sounded a little silly before, but now we're like, heck yeah, if you can pull that thing off, that's awesome. And we really are spending time on what good God has done in our midst, amidst of all the folly and brokenness. And there is plenty of folly and brokenness among 12 human beings and all of our marriages and all of our children. But we've not only shortened our time, now we've adjusted our focus to be encouraging, to tell each other of the good that God is doing in our lives, to hold on to it because it matters. So we grasp for good. And in so doing, we outdo each other in showing honor. This is an amazing thing. That we could be a community that would look like this. That we would just be, it'd be like the honor, it would be the honor Olympics. And your job is to give more honor away. This is what, you know, Jay Melton Sanders wrote in her application to her parents' letter as she brought it out today. Uh, you know, to challenge your kids to outdo one another in showing honor to each other or even speaking highly of friends. And she says you should keep the score on the fridge. Every year after the person shares, another person, even the one going next to the one who's previously gone, we have a time of Q&A. A time of prayer, and then a time of blessing. We stand around the person and pray for them and give them a blessing. There's a picture of me having that 
uh, receiving the blessing right there. And it has the sign. I'll tell you about it in a little bit. But that is one of our slips writing who had written a blessing for me. And these guys take this so seriously. A duty to speak a blessing upon the other. Sometimes guys spend hours crafting a message, even a, even a poem, a blessing to honor and bestow after listening to something amazing about what God's doing. It is a huge and incredible gift to one another. Paul continues and he's like, love is not this passive emotion, but it's vigorous, embodied, zealous affection and activity. Don't be lazy in zeal. That's literally what it is. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. This really is a statement about being spiritually lazy. Don't be lazy in love. Don't be lazy in faith, but work hard in hope. Even amid your pain, even amid your sin, work hard at these things. Ellie Weisel said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference, it's non-action. When King talked about the, the most difficult part of, uh, uh, and the, about the violence of, uh, of, of the civil rights movement, he said, it's not the hate and violence of the KKK, it's the utter silence and inaction of the white church. Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. We must have communities, not just with our spouses or our, deep, our closest friends, but be a community that can teach each other zealous zeal and patience and serving and prayerful love. And there's nothing outside of my wife and my family that, Schlup, that, 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 that besides Schlupfinkel that has done this. They have been with me in my shame and lifted my head. They've seen me when my zeal and my sloth were competing, my lack of fervency in the spirit, and service to the Lord. Only my wife has rejoiced more with me in hope and endured more trial and prayer. But I beg that you will create these spaces and friendships and family where you can live out this thing. And it takes time and it is both um, a giving and a receiving. And sometimes it doesn't work. But it's not like a special magic other than the special magic of the fact that Jesus has come into your lives and is building this community. To speak of prayer, this, weekend, this weekend's leader, we call him the bishop when they're leading. The bishop this year said, basically made us um, participate in about an hour and a half to two hours of structured prayer each day. We pray for each of the brothers after sharing time, which is a good long bit. But then we also had morning prayer and noon prayer and evening prayer. But I just wanted to read you Wednesday's noon prayer. Because he also, the bishop got uh, another person to write these liturgies for the noon. But this is just at noontime. Five minutes is what it takes. One of the others, uh, so this is Wednesdays. May we serve each other this day as service to you, Lord, that the benefits of it might be eternal. For hearts have already been tempted this day to believe anything about ourselves or others that does not take into account our creation, your creation, your mercy, your sacrifice, your grace, your forgiveness, your redemption, and your unshakable love. Oh, God. Remind us again of these truths, giving us faith enough to believe and hope enough to choose to embrace them again and again. 
Or if we've been swayed from the place of resting in your grace today, swayed by shame or error or by vanity or by pride or by the love of the praise of people, act, Holy Spirit, reveal our error, convict conscience and bring us to quick repentance, rekindle our affections, restoring them again to their one worthy object who is you, Christ Jesus, who alone holds the words of eternal life. Unbelievable. Y'all made it through noon before without needing to pray that prayer? I've never made it through noon without praying that prayer. If I'm missing it, if I got it, bring me back. Y'all, I just covered the first four verses. There's four more in this passage. You got contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You guys at Redeemer, we're doing great on this. This, We started the year off with a bang with all that money we gave to, 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 to meet each other's needs and to show hospitality. The Deacon's Fund is a consistent use of this. It's a wonderful thing. At Schlupfwinkel, when... We, we bring all our receipts together and we divide by 12. And when someone doesn't have a job, we divide by 11. Or if someone's, you know, really, really struggling financially, we divide. One year we had to divide by 10. So be it. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. We'll do that next week. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sides. Friends, this is a call to a community of Harmony and humility. And I want to point out again that the 12 guys that we get together, some of them I only see once a year. This doesn't have to be a BFF. We can live in this way with this kind of humility and care, a call to a shared life without having to be BFF. It includes money and meals, a call of weeping and rejoicing. This, but this isn't friendship via affinity group, and it isn't simply being hang, is hanging out with friends. This is a dip, deliberate way of living into one another, with one another. And it doesn't always have to be intense. Mine typically is, but there's some intense dudes in there. But it does have to be purposeful. Because we're connected in Christ to care and celebrate and confess and co-labor. We're made to that. This is what our Wednesday's meals in, um, in, uh, in, in Advent are about. There's no agenda. It's just time to be together. A simple meal, lowly even. A time to be known and to know somebody a little bit better. Come at 5.30 if you can. Stay for a short devotional afterward. I've been able to come to some, not to other, other parts. I'm cooking this Wednesday, so clearly you should come. And many of you have these kinds of friendships. You know their value, and I'm so thankful if you do. But please remember, not everyone has these. And so it might be that you must be a friend like this. Befriend someone. Connect other people to others. And if it doesn't work at first, it's okay. It's okay. Schlupfinkel starts like this. There are these wooden pillars. I think I have a slide of them. They have our initials on them. They tell of our presence and our love. And each year, the leader for that year will gather us. We will pray and we will welcome. We'll stand in a circle calling one person by name. And when that happens, that responds that he's here. And our loaded pillar is put into place. And when all 12 pillars are standing together, Schlupfinkel actually begins. These pillars mark our life. And hear me, their absence will mark our deaths. 
when we are not able to respond, when we will not say our name. And then our little pillar we put in the box and our families will be prayed for, gratitude will be given, and then we will wait for the resurrection and the life of the world to come. Y'all realize what this passage is all about. And even the Shalopik, all this kind of stuff is not just like a way to create community. It's actually the creation of a community that lives like this. This is not like how to have better friendships and influence people. This is the, 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 the very thing that the Lord is creating in the church. This is what he's doing. That, that he's trying to have this agapic, this, this, this um, divine love, not actually from directly him to us, but then from us to one another, his hands and his feet. That we participate and in, 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 uh, fuel that love among one another. I told you that this divine agapic love is in other places in Romans only, and it's in chapter 5. It's in our assurance from earlier where our, the uh, love of God was poured into our hearts, but it's also in 5.8. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's the first one we use in all of Romans of that agapic love. The second one is that, uh, that other one. And there's two and eight. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the... Of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Those stuff guys are awesome, but they're train wrecks. And it may be a special gift for us, but it is not special. It is the normal way of a Christian life with one another. It's made special because of the abiding love of Jesus. The one that covered each of our sins and continues to cover us. And our sin each day, each night, the one that led this love that led Jesus to the cross and led us one to another. This is what it is. My favorite moment in any shluf is after you've shared and after the blessing is given. The leader says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And the people respond, and his steadfast love for Giorgio endures forever. I think I want you to do that. You're going to have to say your own name. But I want you to say your own name. I'm going to say, give thanks to the Lord for his good. And you say, and his steadfast love for Giorgio endures. No, not Giorgio. His steadfast love for Wendy, Wendy says, endures forever. And then I'll tell you how the last part ends. So give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love for endures forever. Do it again. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love for Giorgio endures forever. You need to hear that and you need as a family and as a group of people in small groups or whatever, you need to hear eight or ten people say that in your ear. And then... The arms are put on the shoulders. And he says, your God is with you. And as your brothers, we want you to hear that you will never walk alone.
that you will never walk alone. Because of Christ Jesus, he's building us into a community that God is with us, with our brothers and sisters, and that because of it, we will never walk alone. Let's pray.